You're listening to the Yoga Magic Podcast with host Ashley Sondergaard. Do you remember that first time you took a yoga class? Lying in Shavasana thinking, what is this magic? For me, yoga opened the door to a life full of self-discovery and self-care. This show shines a light on what is possible when you invest in your well-being. And not only for you, but for everyone around you. I interview women in the space of healing, spirituality, beauty, wellness, and of course, yoga. This community of listeners is excited to expand their minds, open new doors, be honest, and sometimes take a big old handstand fall on the way. My hope is that this show gifts you a library of accessible new practices that fill up your soul and open your mind. Not all will be perfect for you, but that's the best part. Trying it on and finding your personal favorites. This is Yoga Magic. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Yoga Magic Podcast, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, On this show, we talk about self-care and self-discovery amidst the chaos of our life. And today I have a special guest with me on this this intro. Rory, can you say hi? Hi. (laughs) I have a little one at home with me today who isn't feeling super well. And so we're just doing work together. We're learning about self-care and self-discovery live time. What do you think about self-care, Rory? Do you know what that is? Picking butt. It's picking your butt? I mean, sometimes. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Today's guest, Catherine Ann Flynn, is an author. She's an Ayurvedic counselor. She's a yoga teacher, and she's sharing her amazing tools for some fall self-care tips using the practice of Ayurveda. So it's a really great time to reset it is virgo slash libra season and some of these practices will help bring you into the cooler months i hope that you find it entertaining and helpful you can learn more about Catherine in the show notes and learn a little bit more about ayurveda throughout this episode if you are new to yoga magic Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Um, It has been almost two years of deep diving into self-care, and I hope you take away many practices that you can use in your life. Not all are going to work for you, but some of them will be just right. Um, Make sure you're following along at Yoga Magic Podcast and at Ashley Sondergaard Yoga. If you love this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or on Instagram. I would be so grateful. I won't waste any more time. Let's get to our awesome conversation with Catherine and Flynn. Well, let's get into it. Welcome, Catherine. I'm so glad you're here. We're talking about Ayurveda, which I, oddly enough, considering it's a yoga podcast, I haven't actually talked a lot about Ayurveda on the show. You're the first. Welcome. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for having me in the first place, but thank you for having me to speak about Ayurveda. I think it's very exciting. I do too. I do too, especially as in, you know, an avid yogi, this being this, this area, this lifestyle upgrade that we can use and, and really honor. And so I'm excited to talk about it more before we get there. Can you just tell listeners who you are, maybe where you live, what's your, what's your all about? What's your life? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I live in, I live in rural Ottawa. I'm on the outskirts of Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. So that's, it's not far from Montreal. And I know okay. a lot of your listeners are American and Americans love Montreal. So I'm two hours <laughs> that's true. from the okay. very cool city of Montreal. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I refer to myself as a yoga, Ayurveda and meditation educator. So that's the bulk of what I do. I run trainings. I offer silent retreats. I 
focus more on, on education these days. And then I have two other streams of education that I'm going through as an eternal student. Mm -hmm. So I'm completing my certification as an Ayurvedic health counselor. Mm, And then I'm also completing a master's of counseling psychology because I'm becoming a registered psychotherapist as well. Wow. I love that combination. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I actually have no plan on offering like specifically Ayurvedic counseling, but you know, for anyone who, who is interested in what Ayurveda and yoga has to offer their lives, as well as interested in the Western allopathic lens of psychology, you can't help but see how beautifully they dialogue. Mm, I don't know that I've seen anyone do it like that. I love that. Yeah. I see the similarities all the time. And Mm -hmm. it's actually one of the challenges that I found in my psychology education is not having peers who speak the Ayurvedic language with me and Mm -hmm. and not being able to share in that enthusiasm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully finding some kindred spirits in that regard. Mm, This is so funny. This, I think about like how I use astrology really within the, the coaching, the yoga space to build those archetypes, which is similar in Ayurveda, right? That there are these, these archetypes, if you will, the doshas that can give you a lot of information about how somebody interacts with the world and how they can take care of themselves. So that's, that seems like a a perfect complement to what you're doing with psychology and and yoga and all of it. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about what Ayurveda is. If someone is new, if they're listening here today, it's their first time talking, using this word. Can you just explain what, what it is? Yeah. So yoga and Ayurveda both stem from the Vedas, most ancient texts of philosophy and spirituality known to known to man, stemming out of the place we call India. And the Vedas refers to this body of texts, which literally means the wisdom. And so it's the first place we see the word yoga. And it's also from which Ayurveda begins, although it's codified by medicine men, seers called rishis a little later on. And so the way I like to explain it is if yoga is a set of practices right? Think this way, do this breath, do these postures, have these disciplines, and you will, you will achieve freedom. However you interpret that, that word, you will achieve freedom. Ayurveda says, okay, your body mind is the vehicle you need to do those disciplines, to do those practices. You need to keep your body mind vehicle Mm well-tuned. So you should eat this way and go to bed at this time and care for yourself with these practices. So it's in a way it's less devotional than yoga Mm. and it's much more lifestyle. I love that description. I love the lifestyle piece. And, and with yoga, there being so many limbs and so many layers and so much to it, that is, that is still deeply personal, but very, there, like you said, this devotional piece, the philosophy piece is it expands in a lot of ways. Whereas this is getting down to the, to the details, right. To the lifestyle, to the changes. Very much to the details, you know, Mm -hmm. yogis look to Patanjali's yoga sutras, which if you read them, they are low on description. (laughs) They're not detailed. (laughs) Um, 
And Ayurveda gets extremely detailed. So I should also clarify that Ayurveda is the world's oldest medicinal system. So if you go to India, you can very much go to an Ayurvedic hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are schools of, uh, of Ayurvedic medicine, and I love some of the names for them. So one of them, um, what we would call gerontology, so like care for seniors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they refer to as rejuvenation. That's, I like that word way better. Can we just use that? <laughs> Isn't it lovely? Yeah. And there's, but there's so many different kinds. So you can, you can go to a proper hospital. There are Ayurvedic doctors and that term in North America is differently regulated. So I'm aware that in the States, some States allow you to refer to yourself as an Ayurvedic doctor, the way you could as a naturopathic doctor mm-hmm. and other States won't allow that. And you have to use different terms. But Ayurveda is a medicinal system. So what's beautiful about it is that unlike the Western medical system where you, you know, you go to a doctor when things start to really go wrong, you can go to a different sort of level of Ayurvedic professional who could help you with something as simple as uh, daily rhythms. You know, if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're fairly healthy and you're looking to be healthier, but then as you know, if you're, if you're sick, or you have more complex problems, you could go to an Ayurvedic health practitioner who are people who can actually diagnose and cure maladies. Mm-hmm. And then you can all go all the way up to Ayurvedic doctor. So then what we think of as medicine in, um, in the U S in Canada, and I, want, I try not to like use the terms West and East anymore. Cause I feel like that's just too, it's like too generalizing, but in general, like in this allopathic world that we live in, mm-hmm. there is so much quick to prescribe medication. Is that something that's a part of Ayurveda? I know that there is like plants and, and herbs and things like that, but do they use what we would think of as medication? Well, it, it probably looks different. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yes. Yes. There are four, but it, it definitely takes a different approach. So mm-hmm. I was going to say it's similar to your naturopath, but even then it's, it's so much more specific to itself. Sure. So you might, if you went to go see an Ayurvedic health practitioner uh, with a particular malady, chances are they would recommend lifestyle changes primarily initially because there's, there's so much that we can change um, by considering basically how we're resisting nature. Cause that's the, that's a main pillar of Ayurveda right. is that we are made of nature. So what happens in big nature, right? What's happening in the climate in the world is affecting our little natures. Mm. And so we often, we get out of balance, we get ill or stressed, however you want to perceive it. Um, when we ignore <laughs> what's happening in nature and we just sort of choose to do our own thing. Um, so that's, that's actually that particular process is called Prajna Parada, which means crimes of intellect. Interesting. That's, that's good. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So we, so often they will recommend, so an Ayurvedic health counselor, which is what I'm working on, could tell you lifestyle changes to make to support your health. And an Ayurvedic health practitioner, which my teacher Mona Warner is, she would give you lifestyle changes too, probably, but she could also prescribe herbs, 
tinctures, specific oils. Uh, Ayurveda uses, we joke that the answer is almost always oil. Oil. I know. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And, and it can, it's often herbalized because the skin is seen as a digestive organ. So you Mm. can receive medicine through skin. Um, what is that when they pour it over your head? A bag. I can never say that word. What is it when they pour the oil over your head? Yeah. When it goes over your head, it's Shirodara, which is you never knew that you wanted someone to pour warm oil slowly (laughs) over your head. Never knew. But when you do it, you're like, it's amazing. (laughs) Oh my, it's actually the first encounter I ever had with Ayurveda when I was 18. And I was like, I'm into it. (laughs) (laughs) But the the oil massage is Abhyanga. That's the one I'm thinking. Yeah, you had it right. Mm -hmm. So when we, you know, we, in my teacher training, we touched on Ayurveda in like a three hour stint. And, and that's probably appropriate for that particular introduction. Right. But there's, I mean, it's, it's an endless study and it's so, 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 so personalized. And I think that's why it really stuck out to me as something that, um, I, I just think works and that can, can help people navigate what their, their needs are. So when someone comes to you or your teacher or is looking to Ayurveda to um, just navigate their well-being. What are some of the things that sh- they might have? Like, I know we'll, we'll get into the doshas, but there's like, what? Why might I show up on your doorstep and say, "Hey, can you help me?" Usually, people are interested in Ayurveda. I think because without Ayurveda, the application of yoga makes less sense. Mm, okay, and I'll expand on this. You know, some people adore hot yoga and they harangue (laughs) their family members and friends who do not like hot yoga. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, eventually they drag their cousin or mother along with them to a class. And if that person doesn't like hot yoga, they then continue to harangue them and say, you just need to acclimatize and keep going. And I'm not suggesting that there isn't a process of becoming skillful and acclimatized to any practice, but that hot yoga can can meet the needs from an Ayurveda perspective of someone who is very cold all the time because of their constitution. It would make sense that they would find a lot of comfort and balance by being in a hot room. But someone who has a lot of fire to their constitution already to be further heated is going to be aggravating, deeply uncomfortable. It's actually going to imbalance them Mm -hmm. rather than balance them. And so once you start to, if you're, if I feel that if you're someone who's curious about, um, I feel that if you're someone who's curious about yoga, generally, you're going to be curious about Ayurveda. And if you're someone who's curious about this ancient wisdom, because it's the word Ayurveda itself means living wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how often there are phenomenal parallels from this ancient wisdom to modern science. And when people hear just a few of these concepts and a few of these parallels, most people get hooked and they're like, okay, I want to know more. Am I allowed to eat cucumbers? Yes or no? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, can it change? So we, we at one point are like, Hey, you know what? Hot yoga is not working for me. Like I'm very pizza. 
I actually really like hot yoga, but I think it's more the flow and um, less of the heat when I, I should say, like I teach for core power yoga. So that's a good example of, I don't know if like the heat's the best thing for me, but the flow feels really good. So when I'm outside doing a flow, perfect. Like that pitta is like totally vibing, but does this change over time? Do we sometimes have certain lifestyle practices that feel really good? And then they evolve as we evolve. That's a great question. And it yes. And no. (laughs) So So this isn't, so let's back it up for a second. And can I talk a little bit about dosha? Yes, please. So, so dosha, the word itself is typically means constitution is how it's used. That's not what it means. It actually means default or mistake. And that's Mm -hmm. because dosha is one of these metaphysical concepts that we get out of Indian texts that refers to a concept that has no literal translation. So we're doing our best to convey a metaphysical concept. And so dosha is its own entity, which is prone by nature to be imbalanced. Being of nature, Ayurveda says that the, the material universe is comprised of five elements. Space, this is in order of subtle to gross, so subtle to more material. Space, air, fire, water, and earth. There are three dosha, five elements. The dosha are comprised of elements. So they have characteristics like elements. So when I teach Ayurveda, it's actually way more understandable for people to begin with talking about and describing the nature of the elements. Because Vata Dosha, for example, is comprised of space and air. Mm. So it's cold, light, dry, subtle. Pitta Dosha is comprised of fire and water. So it's hot, spreading, fluid, um, fleshy smelling, not my words, (laughs) you know, obviously warming. And then kapha dosha is comprised of water and earth. So it's stable, soft, heavy grounding. And so those are the three dosha, vada, pitta, kapha. But the important thing to remember is that every person is comprised of five, all five elements. Mm-hmm. So even if you get told you're a super fiery personality, you still have all five elements. Right. And then those five elements in combinations take turn being dominant in a season. Mm. And if you sit back and think about it, it's pretty obvious. So summertime, obviously we have um, fire and water dominant winter time. Um, and it also depends on where you are, but winter time, air and space take over mm-hmm. and in springtime, earth and water take over. So even if you're a super fiery person in the winter time, your skin's going to get dry. You're going to feel, you know, dried out, burnt up, maybe more forgetful, maybe just a bit more sensitive And then people who have a lot of air and space to their constitution, they're going to be so dry and so burnt out and so stressed. And then just to complicate matters, (laughs) that changes over your lifetime too. Mm -hmm. So in childhood, earth and water are more expressive. 
in your middle life, Pitta dosha is more expressive. So it's fire and water. And then in your later life, it's Vata dosha. So it's air and space. Oh my, I'm not, wow. That makes total sense the way you just described that. Yes. Will you say it one more time? Just cause like I'm geeky. My mind is blowing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So the, so in childhood, earth and water are dominant, which would be Vata. That's Kapha. Kapha. Okay. Right. So you've got, cause in childhood, you've got like you're resilient and you're bouncy and let's be real. You're sticky, which is a quality yeah. of Kapha dosha. That's, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people often think Vada when they think childhood, right? But no, but it's that, it's that resilience. It's that bounce. And like, these are all Ayurvedic terms, but like your juiciness, yeah, your natural sweetness. And then the middle of your life is when you're doing the most work, right? It's when you're having your babies and you're working your jobs. It's the transformative time of your life and fire and water together are the transformative elements. You can't grow without fire and water. You need sun and rain, right? So that's the middle of your life where you're building. And then the end of your life, Ayurveda describes aging as drying out, (laughs) which is why we put oil on everything. (laughs) Rejuvenate. (laughs) Exactly. So just to answer a question from earlier, this is why people seek out advice on Ayurveda is because, you know, if you read just a little article about it, there is so much wisdom and there's so much meaningful work you can do with Ayurveda without diving deep into texts. Mm -hmm. And yet the moment you start to dive into texts, Mona loves to say that people often find out enough to get themselves into trouble, but not enough to get themselves out of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the more you learn, the less, you know, I think with this stuff or with yoga too, in general, it's just like, whoa. (laughs) Exactly. It's an eternal unfolding. Hey friends, your newest sponsor here today on the show, and that's me, Ashley, your host. I wanted to share a brand new offering for you amazing yoga magic listeners out there. It's a one-on-one cosmic self-care reading. The reality of self-care is that there are just so many different options out there, and you know it can be a little overwhelming. Your best practice, self-care practice, might look you know, a lot different than your best friends or even the Instagram post you saw yesterday. But it can take a lot of time to figure out which routines, rituals, and practices actually fill up your cup. And that's why we utilize astrology. So in a one-on-one cosmic self-care session, you'll receive a reading of your birth chart with specific focus on the placements that impact your self-care practices. We'll talk through your current routine, your work-life balance, your family life, and come up with a customized plan that you can implement right away. So less time experimenting and more time just nurturing yourself so that you can keep doing the amazing work that you're doing in the world. If you're curious what a session looks like or how I use astrology to inspire self-care, check out episode 110, which is an on-air session with my friend Gina. I'll give you a little taste of what this looks like. As a thank you for listening to this show, I'm extending a limited time discount of $10 off your session. Head over to the show notes or www.ashleysondergaard.com and use the code YOGAMAGIC to get $10 off. Okay, so can you, you described the doshas, you say it better than I, the dosha, like each of the dosha. And I'm, I want to apply this because I love to get really specific for our listeners on practices and things that they can do. So we're moving into 
fall. And no matter what dosha we embody, we're still going to be working with the seasons. Is that right? You are exactly right. So you can see why the advice that an, an Ayurvedic health counselor or a practitioner gives to a 35 year old woman with a lot of earth and water to her constitution living in a humid climate would be so different than to someone who was older, different gender, living in a hot, dry climate, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why we seek people out. But Ayurveda has a lot of wisdom that basically says, if you pay attention to what's happening in the seasons and harmonize, you will suffer less. You will live with greater Mm -hmm. ease. Mm -hmm. And autumn is a time, you know, anyone with kids knows this. (laughs) You have these visions of how, you know, organized and ready you're going to be. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then it's here and you're, you know, you, you just don't have things ready to go and you feel like you're preparing for autumn halfway through autumn. Um, and that's, that's the nature of this transition from Pitta season into Vata season. So we need to spend time literally preparing for winter um, you know, switching to a more habituated routine, mm-hmm. going to bed at the same time, waking up. Um, Ayurveda wants you to wake up with the sun, which where I live, some people might not get to work on time if they waited for that in the winter time, but, right. but it's permission to get more sleep in the winter, right? To go to bed earlier, wake up a little later, And then take it easy in the summertime where you have more energy because everything's easier. But in the autumn, you should be more routinized. You should be eating, and this is true of every season, local fresh foods to the best of your ability because they, what is grown close to you has what you need, right? There's this super cool study that shows that deer develop a digestive enzyme over the winter that allows them to digest bark but they lose that enzyme. They stop producing it in the springtime, which forces them to forage for new shoots to go for Hmm. green. Mm -hmm. And I read that and I was like, oh man, that's Ayurveda. So over the winter, we want to start to shift into cooking more. So lean out of the salads and then over the autumn, start to increase the cooking. And then over the winter, you know, lots of vegetable stews, lentil curries, warming spices, things like that. And then starting to shift your routines to be uh, your yoga routines anyway, to be gently warming. So yoga routines that support joint mobilization, feeling really nourished, feeling really sweet. Like if you feel burnt out at the end of a yoga session, you're going too hard. According to Ayurveda, you should feel refreshed. Mm, these are such good reminders. I'm, I'm having a day where I, I teach really early on Tuesdays and I have noticed as I'm moving into this like middle stage of life, like I, I am, it burns me out to be that hot that early in the morning. And I, Yeah. It's just, you know, recalibrating and paying attention. This is so interesting because I, you know, I speak in astrology so frequently and we've just moved from Leo into Virgo. And like you were saying that, you know, that height of 
Pitta dosha season in the middle of the summer, Leo season is so fiery and it's so much energy and it's so fun, but then you have to get back. And Virgo is all about, Hey, let's get into a routine, literally daily routines and health and wellness, and just like preparing for the winter. It's so wild how these line up and, and it would make sense with, you know, the elements being a part of all of it. That is so interesting. I don't know anything about astrology and people always assume I do since I'm such a yogi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm, totally Capricorns, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really know anything about it, but I love that you shared that Leo into Virgo. That's very cool. Yeah. It's all connected, right? We're all connected in this, in this journey. Um, can you offer up any, so we talked about some stews. We talked about those like warming, um, but not overexerting practices, any other like autumn into winter Ayurvedic practices, or just reminders or things to be thinking about for those of us, you know, who are a lot of our listeners are in the Midwest. I mean, and in, you know, into Canada as well, there's definitely like a little bit of a, of a cold vibe in the winter. (laughs) What are we, what are we thinking about as we move into that? Yeah. So, so it's interesting to hear you say that, um, talk about the, the sort of too much fire of the heat and teaching a super early class. You're not a coffee drinker, are you? I am. I am. I probably shouldn't be, but I am. <laughs> no, no, I am too. I'm a fan of coffee and coffee. I find a lot of us lean out of it in the summertime because again, we're energized, you know, fire is governing. And so life is just so much easier when you get to run out of the house in shorts and a tank top compared to the winter time where you need 20 minutes to layer and get yourself into the car, et cetera. So what ends up happening in the winter time is we look for sources of false fire. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so in our mornings, we might go for more coffee. And then in our evenings, when we really should be winding down with like candlelight around, that would be a healthy source of fire, you know, warming foods, we're leaning into alcohol sometimes, mm-hmm. which is another source of fire. And so I'm using this term false fire and it's, it's not false. It's just, it's imbalancing fire, right? Mm -hmm. It's producing an effect that we like, but that's not really that supportive. And so one of my favorite Ayurvedic practices that has definitely made it mainstream is um, a turmeric latte, Mm -hmm. sometimes referred to as golden milk. And Ayurveda has a lot of spiced milks uh, that you can do in different recommendations or in different um, formulations. So for example, like a lightly spiced milk with nutmeg and honey uh, or dates can help calm people in the evening for sleep, but you can do turmeric and then cinnamon and ginger, and you can froth that with oat milk. Um, if you're an oat milk person, or you can go dairy because Ayurveda actually loves dairy Um, but that's, a a, that's one of my evening routines. I'm not doing it right now because it's just too hot. I don't need it. Mm -hmm. But once autumn comes, that'll be one of my evening routines. I love that promotes digestion and it promotes, we're looking for mental calm because that's the other thing is that when we look into the details of Ayurveda, you always look at how behaviors or foods or supplements or herbs, how they affect you psychologically and how they affect you physically. Mm -hmm. Because body mind are so interwoven. 
And so what we do to ourselves at a physical level is going to affect us mentally and vice versa. So that's why we say that you want a balanced fire. So that's why I'm saying that too much coffee, too much alcohol, that's going to make your fire rage, but it's not a warming fire. It's like a burning up fire. Psychologically, you're going to get very hot. So we want like a warm, sweet fire, hence the golden milk. Mm-hmm. Someone recently used the term anxiety at when you drink too much, a little bit too much. And the next day you have anxiety. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you're talking about, where it's this fire that that alcohol can sometimes create and then bring in, bring it to the mind, bring it to the emotions and the mental well-being. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because often, and I really, I have, you know, I have a little boy, I'm self-employed and I'm a student. I really, really do empathize with the fact that people are tired and they feel they don't have a lot of time for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, all go through phases where life gets, um, you know, more challenging, but the invitation of Ayurveda is to notice those cycles and to notice when things are getting more challenging and rather than exacerbating imbalance by leaning into these less supportive habits, Mm -hmm. can we lean into other habits that are, you know, maybe less easily delicious right off the bat, (laughs) but are going to be more supportive in the long term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is so helpful. Thank you, Catherine. I'm just, I'm like, came at, the, at a really good time as I'm evaluating my own routines for the upcoming year. It's, you're so right that like we can plan and plan and plan for everything and that it all kind of falls apart. But at least, you know, at least there's some joy in thinking about this too, right? Like thinking about how can I feel better? How can I show up bigger and better on in a physical and a mental way? We talk about spirituality so much on this show, but this is, this is just as important because they're all connected and yeah, it can be a fun opportunity to self-study. I love this. Thank you. It is. And the, and the body is the container for the spirit, right? So yeah, that's true. You know, I'm a big fan of, and I teach, and I teach teachers how to offer yoga nidra, Mm -hmm. which is, um, nidra is the Sanskrit word for sleep, and it's a form of supportive meditation. And nidra, sleep, is actually one of the three pillars of health, according to Ayurveda. So you need to tend to that pillar. And so nidra is like another practice that everyone should be getting into over the over the autumn winter. However, one of the things that I say in yoga nidra trainings is you can offer a nidra that is focused on relaxing the body and people can still have a spiritual experience. Absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cause it is, it's inherently spiritual that practice. And yeah, yeah, this is, I think I might do that after I actually like now that I'm like, I could use a, like, I was going to take a nap a really short nap. But I'm like, maybe I'll do a really quick yoga nidra today. Yes. Um, I'll link up. We did an episode on yoga nidra with, um, Kelly Smith of the mindful in minutes podcast. So I'll link that up for listeners because it's such an amazing practice. Let's talk about your book, Catherine, because I am, I'm really excited that it's, it's speaking to teachers. There's a lot of yoga teachers that listen out there. It's also speaking to obviously practitioners too, but there's a lot of yoga teachers that listen to this show. So can you tell us about your book? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I published my book this April it's called Teach Kind, Clear Yoga, a guide for practitioners and teachers. 
And as we mentioned at the beginning of our chat, there's this eternal unfolding. There is so much that is relevant to the teaching of yoga. Right. And what I wanted to create was a text that, that inspired people to keep doing their good work and with some, what I think is high quality information informing it. Hmm. So there's a, you know, there's so much to know now. There are so many resources. There are so many people specializing in the different niches of yoga. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes folks can feel like they don't know enough to offer yoga compassionately. And I'm very pro teaching yoga. I really feel people should. I think that teacher trainings are an excellent preparation for leading yoga classes. Um, obviously there's variants across the fields and in case there's variants across the fields and people want to have a little more confidence. I created this book that runs the gamut of information that I think is relevant to teaching yoga compassionately. Mm. So that includes, you know, distilling a lot of the philosophy with some historical background to the philosophy, which I think a lot of teachers don't have, and then trying to make it relevant in a modern day context, and then introducing some important concepts like the importance of seeing diversity within yoga and within yoga leadership, um, and how to practice yoga in a way that's um, respectful of its cultural origins, mm -hmm. which means getting closer to the history, right? Right. But then I'm also super fascinated by the concepts of biotensegrity and how it influences the way we look at bodies moving. Mm -hmm. So then we go into anatomy and breath physiology and we dig deep in there. And then there's, I think the part that is probably the most reflective of my teaching is the, are the, the principles and recommendations on how to approach your teaching. Hmm. Um, I teach powerful yoga as in tricky yoga, but I've built my career on teaching accessible yoga hmm. simply because when I started teaching, people were coming to classes who I couldn't ignore. And I wanted to figure out how I could be of service to them and be of service to a greater number of people in the room. So like, how can we actually offer nourishing yoga experiences across the spectrum of mm. mobility. Mm -hmm. And so that shows up in the book, lots of information about mobility and sequencing and cueing, et cetera. Sounds like a perfect book for someone who's starting to just wrap their brain around getting the words out of their mouth and also still wants to learn. I mean, like you said, we're always students. We are always students and there's really no perfecting this, this world of teaching. There's just no way <laughs> I was just, I did a solo episode on this. There's just, we, we can learn as much as we can and there's, you got to just go out and do it too. You got to be, be yourself. And I love that you're bringing in that accessibility piece, because I think that's an area that you got to do some research. You got to practice. You got to get good at seeing people and, and cueing to all people, you know? Yes. Yeah. And there's, you know, many yoga students 
because they might have their own insecurities or their own desires about what their practice should look like, right? they might not realize just how mobile they are. Mm. And so I've said to people numerous times in trainings, three-legged dog stepping through is an advanced transition. And so in training, true. they're like, no. <laughs> and then they go start teaching and they're like, oh my goodness, I thought I was going to break people. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And now we know that bodies are actually a lot more resilient. Your, your knee doesn't have to be perfectly aligned over your ankle in warrior two for it to be a safe pose. That's sure. just not how bodies work. At the same time, rapid transitions between postures that are actually quite complicated in their strength and flexibility that can alienate or injure people. And so how can we sequence in a way where people are still working, but we're reducing the risk? Mm -hmm. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine, for sharing all this just really good information for people that are new to the world of Ayurveda, for the teachers out there. And yeah, if they want to work with you, if they want to learn more from you, get your book, all the things, where can they find you? They can find me at katherineannflynn.com, which is... My name is spelled unusually. It's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-A-N-N-E-F-L-Y-N-N.com. If you Google me, you'll find me. And this autumn, actually, my Ayurveda Foundations course will be going online. So if people are interested in Ayurveda, they can jump in for that. My book is available everywhere. Amazon.com, Chapters Indigo if you're in Canada, Amazon.ca. Um, Waterstones, if you're in the UK. But I would also recommend my teacher, Mona Warner, has a book called Ayurveda's Three Pillars of Health. And if you wanted to know more about integrating Ayurveda on a daily, on a daily, I would, I would pick up that book too. Mm, great recommendation. Love that. Thank you. Thanks again, Catherine. This was great. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. Thank you to Catherine for being on the show, for sharing your insight. Super helpful in this season. If you want to learn more about Catherine, make sure to check out her information in the show notes and also grab her book. It's called Teach Kind Clear Yoga. I look forward to seeing you at the next episode next Thursday. Thanks, everyone.